It's the most wonderful time of the year. And, well, I mean, we can't say that about the day we're actually recording on, because this one's coming out a little late this week. The most wonderful time of year, of course, Lucas, I'm talking about WrestleMania weekend. I was, like, really racking my brain. I was like, is he talking about the new fiscal year? Is he talking about <laughs> April Fool's Day? Like, what is the most wonderful time of the year here? But, of course, how could I forget it's WrestleMania season? Uh, the, the excitement is in the air, Will. Yes, and you know what? For any of you who are not wrestling fans, which I have to understand there's quite a few people who aren't wrestling fans who listen to the show, in which case I'm very sorry, but it's exciting not just for the fact that, you know, it's a big uh, once-a-year annual event this weekend, uh, but also because there's a lot of other better events going on this weekend that are far superior to WrestleMania that I'm much more excited for. Uh, I've been watching, I, I think I just... Uh, Made a tweet about it. I've watched 21 matches today, and I'm not even wow. done yet. Wow. That's exciting stuff. Yes. I, I See, I don't know if I can... I, I want to watch some of that extra stuff as well, um, but I've already kind of uh, dedicated the entirety of the weekend now that WrestleMania is two nights, uh, so it's hard to dedicate any more time uh, given that I have uh, other commitments. So uh, I'm jealous, Will, of, of all your match watching. I mean, you don't feel don't feel like you have to be. This is true sicko behavior. So, like, <laughs> Listen, don't, you said it, not me. You said it. <laughs> <laughs> Do not worry about it. Uh, hey, everybody! This is the Episodic Arthur Podcast. This is Elwood City Limits. Thank you very much for joining us, uh, Will Young here, along with my co-host Lucas Mancini. Back after a little bit of uh, did, did we take did we take a break? <laughs> I, I was like sick with strep throat, and, right. and then yes, we did a right. Patreon episode. So now we're back onto our regular scheduled programming right you've got you've got all uh you've got all of the season locked away you're ready to go you're uh where we you know we did our for the kids return last week and this is the ecl return although i had a great time talking with cash about the season 14 premiere um you know the original the original flavor there's a reason why uh we're, we're we're still here so everybody's been waiting to hear your thoughts on season 14 and uh, a couple people have been waiting as well for us to talk about uh, the emails that they sent us. So let me pull those up now. ElwoodCityLimits at gmail.com. Our first one comes from Michelle Sprzynski, who I believe is one of our patrons. Hey, Will, Lucas, and Mike. I just finished listening to your review on the last episode of Arthur and loved it. Will, I love how passionate you were about DW's profession. Totally agree with you about people who haven't watched the show in 20 years. So Michelle is talking about the review we did about the final episode of Arthur. And yes, uh, if you're a patron and haven't listened yet or if you would like to listen to it, I get... I get pretty heated. Like, it's one of the most most heated I've been on the show, potentially. There's Um, some takes. Yeah, exactly. Both of your opinions were way better than Mike's. He didn't have anything to say at all. Is he even a real fan? Anyway, something's been on my mind lately while listening to the podcast. I don't really understand the hate that Emily gets. When I watched as a child, and even when I watch now, I always thought she was a generous and patient friend to DW. <laughs> One example is, I believe the first episode we were introduced to her, DW Flips. Even though she was a bit of a show-off in the gymnastics class, she offered to help DW with her tumbling, and at the end, when DW almost falls off the balance beam, Emily is the one who runs to get Mom Reed and the teacher. Another time, I recall her being a great friend is in the Allowance episode. DW acts like a total brat throughout the episode, lying to people and whining about how her allowance is lower than Emily's. 
Of course, she is only four years old, and that's normal behavior out of a child. But the point I'm trying to make is that even when Emily finds out that DW has been lying the whole time, she is generous enough to share her allowance with her friend, even though DW has not been acting like a good friend to her at all. Other than that, aside from a handful of totally normal spoiled moments from Emily, which could be the product of her absent parents, oh my, and the fact that she's being raised by a nanny, she is always willing to share her liver pate sandwich with DW, takes her share of abuse by the Tibbles in that one episode where Timmy was sick, and just overall seems like a good friend. Maybe something to ponder upon in terms of having empathy for a little girl who's doing her best, despite not having the same kind of upbringing as her peers. Well, Lucas, you know what? That's a pretty... That's, I'm a little convinced by that. I don't know. Maybe we have been a little bit hard on Emily. Listen, I'll, I'll break it down. So I agree with everything uh, the listener has said. And in mm-hmm. fact, when you lay it out like that, um, especially lately, I, f- I feel like they've really kind of chilled out with Emily's character. They yeah, were kind of big time. L- leaning into the French nanny uh, earlier on way more. Uh, yeah. And now Emily is just kind of DW's best friend. So uh, current Emily, I totally agree. But really, the Emily hate stems completely from one of the most hated archetypes um, I basically humanity has ever seen, which is person who studies abroad and comes back with an accent, which is really <laughs> just like, you know, it's, it's unforgivable behavior. Uh, it's deeply embarrassing. Um, and that's kind of where the vitriol stems from. I'm sorry, that might sound harsh, but <laughs> that's really what it is. And uh, listen, early Emily, it was reminding me of the character Nanette and Anwar? What's her name? Nanette Anwar? Nanette Mamwar. Yeah, Nanette Mamwar, Ninny Poo from Anadola yeah. Anaconda, ah, ah. Um, who's really like, if you were to actually make Emily how we kind of treat Emily, that's the, mm-hmm. what that character is. Uh, so Emily's not quite that bad. And really, it's just that she has a French man, nanny, and, and you know, you got to be hater, a hater sometimes. Uh, <laughs> but besides that, especially in current episodes, uh, she has been a very good and supportive friend with DW uh, and has actually, you know, shown a little bit more emotional intelligence than DW has in some of uh, these yeah. episodes. Um, yeah. Absolutely. No, the good points as well. I just like to I, I think that we are both open to changing our minds on things. So, you know, I, I always appreciate a good case made by one of our listeners. And I think that was a pretty good one. And you know what? We use the she's four years old excuse with DW a lot. Well, not excuse, but like literally to explain her behavior. So, you know, Emily only has so much agency as well, being a fictional four year old, I suppose. This one's from Caleb. Hey, Will, Lucas, and Mike. I have recently been playing the video game The Outer Worlds and have come across two of the Arthur voice actors in it. The voice of Oliver Frensky, Mark Camacho, voices multiple random characters in the game and sounds pretty much exactly how he does on Arthur. Bruce Dinsmore is in the game as a robot companion named Sam, and I imagine he had a good time with it due to getting to say a bunch of nonsensical lines. This got me to thinking about all of the games I have played where I recognized voices from Arthur. The one I know of that has the most prominent use of the Arthur actors is Deus Ex Human Revolution. Bruce Dinsmore and Arthur Holden both have major roles in the story, and there's a point where you basically have to choose to side with David Reed or Mr. Ratburn over their warring ideologies. Susan Glover and Jody Restler, the voices of Mrs. Powers and Francine, respectively, also voice multiple characters in the game. I know a few people from Arthur are also in Deus Ex Mankind Divided, and I will have to keep my ear out for them next time I replay it. A couple other examples I remember are Arthur Holden as the president and some random guards in the first Splinter Cell. Whoa. It was pretty. 
It was pretty funny hearing Mr. Ratburn checking somebody in while sneaking through a parking garage and Bruce Dinsmore as Paul Revere in Assassin's Creed 3. I thought this would be fun to write in about because I know you're both into video games. Can either of you think of any media where you were amused to see people from Arthur pop up? Have a great day from Caleb. That's really cool. I'm so glad you brought that up, Caleb, because... Um, I actually know exactly what you're talking about with Splinter Cell. I remember playing the original Splinter Cell. I had the first three games on PS2, and every once in a while in the first game, like, Mr. Ratburn would just be there, and like, oh, well, that's absolutely who that is. Um, I don't know if I would recognize um, Bruce Dinsmore in the wild. I haven't played The Outer Worlds or uh, the other one that they mentioned was Deus Ex Human Revolution. I just watched the three and a half hour H bomber guy video on human revolution. So didn't hear any of those, but that's awesome. Um, off the top of my head, those are really good examples actually. Oh, I heard, I remember, um, this was a couple of years ago before the pandemic when we were still going to movie theaters. Uh, my wife and I went to a movie and there was a, there was a commercial for a gas station chain called Irving, uh, which is active here in Canada. And the voice sounded really familiar. And after we went to see the movie, I sent Bruce Dinsmore a DM. And I was like, is that you in the new Irving commercial? And he confirmed it was him. So that was just, that was just really funny. Just like, it's, I, I, love, I love vocal signatures. There's always those mm. voice actors where they have a very certain way of saying words that you're like, you can pick them out anywhere. It's like, um, you know immediately when a character is voiced by Jim Cummings, for example. It just, nobody else sounds like him as a voice actor. Yeah, I wish I had something to contribute, but this has never happened to me. I've never really recognized the Arthur cast um, outside of Arthur. Um, though um, oh, I feel like I feel like actually Bruce, Bruce Dinsmore might be the exception, and we on some show on on for the kids or something, I've recognized Arthur voice actors, but never yeah. in video games or anything else. They definitely like use those types of voice before. I know that like for example, Bruce Dinsmore is a voice on Whimsy's House, and it's definitely just very similar to the Binky voice, so you recognize yeah. it very quickly. Um, and I also notice uh, on PBS programming, uh, they'll sometimes get Daniel Brochu, the voice of Buster, to like do a song. Uh, and I recognize him right away because it just sounds like Buster's singing voice. If anybody else can think of any other examples, I'd love to hear. I'd love to hear them. I love like voice actor stuff. I'm so nerdy about that. Our last one comes in from the Frensky Star. Hey, Will and Lucas, I was just listening to your Poetry of the Words episode, which was just uploaded to YouTube. Lucas, this was like episode eighty something, I think. And decided to get to the bottom of what the Alanis Morissette-esque song you liked was. I think this was the song in the show. I'm not sure if anyone wrote in about this before, but the song actually uses the words in Lewis Carroll's poem, A Boat Beneath a Sunny Sky, from Alice Through the Looking Glass. I couldn't find the audio for the song online, but my guess is that the Arthur team used the lyrics and created the song. This is probably an easy out, because copyright of poems runs out after 95 years, and also, it's a fun little Easter egg. And they and he had such a great idea to re-upload these episodes to make it easier for us listeners to revisit. And uh, he's right. Thank you, uh, Frensky Star, for that little Easter egg. And you can go listen to our episode on it right now because it was just recently uploaded to our YouTube channel. We are at 93 subscribers right now. Please get us to 100 so I can tell you to go to YouTube.com slash Elwood City Limits. Right now, all I can do is tell you to go to YouTube and search Elwood City Limits like a, like some kind of pop without uh, my own custom url two things from that one i'm happy yeah. to know that every single question we've ever asked on this show is eventually going to be answered on a long enough timeline so i just have to wait like five years 
for any kind of quandaries that I posture, you know, in these episodes. <laughs> uh, yeah. And two, now that I know that about poetry, I gotta write some Mickey Mouse poems. Stat. I'm gonna run to write yeah. some Mickey Mouse poems. Well, and guess what? They can't yeah, touch what? me. They can't touch me, Will. I'm untouchable. Well, I was gonna say, I think, I think what he might be, uh, I think what he might mean is that like the copyright on poetry. So like, it doesn't mean that you can write mm. poetry on Mickey Mouse, but like it, like what's um, ninety five years from now? So like a hundred years. So like poems before nineteen fifteen, you can totally uh, just go ham on. Okay, so so Beowulf two. Yes. Everybody, keep an eye out. I'm I'm working on it. Beowulf two, Grendel harder. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Thanks for the emails, everybody. Really appreciate it. You can send yours into ElwoodCityLimits at gmail.com. Also, want to give thanks as well to our lovely patrons. We just had a recent influx of a lot of new ones. Thank you very much. We really appreciate it. We just did our For the Kids episode on Sid the Science Kid. And that was... One. It was a good one. It was a lot of fun to record and I would definitely recommend that you check out the preview of it on the main feed. And if you're interested, we get pretty opinionated about Sid the <laughs> Science Kid in the full episode. That's patreon.com slash Limits. Thanks to new patrons like Matt M., David Morales, Uriel Underwood, Ashmita, Josh Andalo, or Andalo, Coyote0620, Emma, and we also have long timers. Let me go all the way to the back of the list uh, we have long timers like Peebs, Marlo Stanfield, Aaron DeFilippo, Macy Ball, Emily Kay, Teresa, Light Relentless, and John Dulong, among many, many others. If it's been a while since we've read your name, please let us know over on Patreon or on the Discord. Lucas, we start off this Arthur episode, you know, near the, the second episode of the 14th season with one called The Agent of Change. And I want to get this out of the way right away. I made sure to check once I figured out what we were talking about here. This episode written by a man by the name of Gentry Menzel. Oh, interesting. Interesting. I'm glad you looked that up. That's a that's a interesting detail. I think it might influence influence or at least inform the way that we feel about the episode, mm. which starts not with any Arthur character at all, but bafflingly, it starts with like a with a par- an elongated parody, where it turns out that we're watching a parody of the move of the movie Cars, Pixar's Cars, and it's called Trucks. Yeah. And when did, so when did season uh, season fourteen of Arthur air? Like two thousand ten into oh, two thousand eleven. Okay. So we are so, in a yeah. we are firmly in a post cars world. The the cinematic uh, phenomenon of cars is in the rearview mirror, pun, in, pun intended. Because um, I was wondering that I was like, okay, this is like, is this post twisted metal pre cars? But this is just firmly, <laughs> this is firmly post cars. Cars influence. It's trucks, um, yes. and they're doing the the ton of bricks pull uh, contest. Um, this was With great. Ca- <laughs> with characters such as Long Haul, Ice Cold, Smelly, the protagonist Johnny Halfton. Um so you also got twisted metal vibes from this as well. Yeah, I think it's Ice Cold specifically who who mm. reminded me of Twisted Metal. There's the, no the, guy the, there's no guy with uh wheels for arms who's just like always screaming, unfortunately, but uh it's still twisted metal adjacent. 
Yeah, definitely uh, the sweet tooth of the group is ice cold. And uh, yes, but no uh, no Grim Reaper riding a motorcycle to its detriment. Mm. Uh, yeah, this turns about to be a movie in the Arthur universe. I did, I did like it. They make... Um, the I, it seemed like the ink lines around the characters were a little bit broader to like illustrate this is not the Arthur universe. We're using yes. a different character design style to show you that this is a movie. Yeah, even before they kind of zoom out and show Muffy and Francine watching the film, um, they convey it through the animation alone that you're like, oh, this is like a movie within the show. The problem that is presented in this cold open is that the the movie ends and Francine Muffy very upset because of the essentially the lack of decent female characters in the movie. There were only two and one of them was the main character's girlfriend and the other was his mother. And yes. they're just... trucks does not pass the Bechdel test. The Bechdel test. The no, Bechdel god. Test, rather. The no, certainly not. Um and then after the cold open, as they they verbalize how upset they are, um, Binky also comes out <laughs> of the movie, and he loved it. He didn't see anything wrong with it. Uh, yeah, Binky kind of plays the foil throughout this episode as he, uh, you know, a victim of his own life experiences. Uh, Binky is completely perplexed and unable to understand uh, sort of why the girls are so upset with the representation in all the movies. And kind of uh, Muffy and Francine kind of do this spiel where they're listing all of the movies in theaters right now. Kung, um, what is it? It's not Kung Fu Panda. It's like a koala Kung Fu Panda parody. Kung Koala. Kung Koala, Donnie Droid. um, The Ram Pack. Yes, the Ram Pack. All, you know, lead led by men. Um, and they're kind of uh, upset about the lack of female representation. And, and Binky just kind of doesn't get it. No, he's uh, essentially what he is, is he's a, he's a bit of a straw man for this episode. Because you need to have somebody, I, especially when you're taking this kind of, like, I was surprised this is where we were going. Because it, it, it's, Ar- it's Arthur. And I'm thinking it's just like, you know, it's for, it's for younger kids. But good on them. You need to have somebody to represent the typical... Um, opinion to be countered but it is end up with binky being a bit of a straw man and so he insists that you know there was nothing wrong with the representation there there was cindy Cupholder and rita the meter maid which francine (laughs) counters by saying she only had like 10 words and binky was like yeah but it was a good joke and then binky kind of pushes back again he says like you know the he thought the roles were funny and girls already have like princess dolls they already have their own media Mm -hmm, so why mm -hmm. should they be catered to here and it's very much set up so that francine and muffy can counter him and rightly so i mean this is i find this very interesting i'm glad that you brought up like when this was aired because this would have you know aired right right at the beginning of the 2010s and probably would have been written long before that like 2008 2009 maybe so we were still a little bit nascent in terms of the discussion around women represented on screen like I think that 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 conversation w- was being had. Don't get me wrong, but popularly, it was it had yet to break out and be re- a really huge talking point as it would become later in the 2010s. So Arthur, in a sense, uh, I don't want to say it's ahead of a lot of other things, but it certainly predicted that this would be part of the conversation for years to come. 
Yeah, I mean, there, of course, you know, before 2010, there was discussions about uh, the women's representation in, in fiction and in, in, in media and, and film, but there definitely was kind of a paradigm shift with, like, genre filmmaking mm-hmm. and specifically, like, like superhero stuff, and I feel like, you know, it, there was the trifecta of, like, the discourse surrounding that Ghostbusters movie... And then there was kind of uh, Star Wars Episode Seven, and there was. Um, you can add in like, when does Black Widow get her own movie? Uh, uh, the, the the Wonder Woman like uh, women only screening, which mm-hmm. I feel like we yeah. brought up recently. It's 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 coming. Yeah, up. maybe so, we did. So you know that kind of stuff uh, kind of shifted the conversation because there's you know there's there's always been women representation in film to varying degrees and, and discourse mm-hmm. about it, but there was definitely like a, a paradigm shifted popular culture where this became like a thing people were arguing about on the internet and uh, this is long before any of those movies were even announced or came out so you're right this mm-hmm. is coming from um, it, it's it's really breaking ground in a way where it doesn't feel like it's it's chasing the discourse because it's popular but instead kind of creating something uh, so yeah I, I agree that when it came out is important to the context proactive instead of reactive perhaps um, yeah, and the the other part of this is that Molly shows up. It's a good, we get another uh, some really good Molly in this episode. Not, not the, 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 Molly the character. We get some good <laughs> Molly the character in this movie. In this uh, episode, um, she doesn't go to animated movies because of the lack of female representation as well. So this is clearly a problem, and they Muffy, Francina, and Molly try to put their heads together to figure out what they can do. Molly's a little bit more you know, disaffected 90s youth about it, but still is on their side. I'm glad you brought up 90s youth. Yeah. So Molly, again, Arthur started in the early 90s. And so you see that with... Mid-90s. Mid-90s. And and you see that come through with some of the fashion that this character still wear, right? Especially someone like Molly, right? Molly looks a lot more like a 90s teen than she does in early 2000s and most certainly a late 2000s. Now, if we wait long enough, you know, fashion comes back around to that she could be a a late 2010s teen. Um, But something that's kind of annoyed me throughout this episode is that they have, like, Molly using this, like, slang, and it's even to Mm. the point where they get Francine to comment on it, but it feels weirdly dated. Like, it feels, you know, totally on the level for the mid-'90s representation of these characters, but it felt weird for 2010. Um, Mm. I'm trying to see if I wrote down any kind of specific examples. She says, says, peace out. Peace um, out. At one point, and Francine's like... She says newsflash a lot, and Francine, yeah. like, when she says peace out, Francine's like, I hate that expression. What does that even mean? And it really <laughs> felt like, it really felt like the writer editorializing a little bit of just, yeah. like, it's like, why do they, why do kids say peace out? What does it mean? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Kind well, of yeah, and, and I liked kind of how Francine thinks it's all silly, but it did feel like, you know, Molly's supposed to be this, like, cool kind of punk character, and it felt a little hello fellow teens to me. Um, oh, that yeah. All of all her right. slang was a little bit out of date. Yeah, no, I think that's that could be very much part of it. Um, yeah, so the three of them come together. Initially, Muffy is like, oh, yeah, don't worry. I've got it in with Hollywood, and I'll, I'll get to the bottom <laughs> of this. What she really means is she's going to send an email to Spike Mailer, assistant VP of public relations at the film company that makes trucks. And so they send a you know strongly worded email. They even put in a, some some all caps letters in there, and they immediately get a form letter back. And at first, th- this was so adorable. Muffy's like, "Oh, that's 
that was a really quick response. And then they read it and Muffy is completely offended. She's just like, he didn't address any of our complaints at all. And Muff and Molly has to explain it's it's just a for, it's just an automatic email. <laughs> well, yeah, it's even written in the way where when when they're reading out the email, you could tell that um it doesn't make sense the sentence. Yes. Uh, it's not grammat- grammatically correct because it's obviously an auto form. Um, and I thought this was funny for multiple reasons. I mean, it's something that I never expected Arthur to tackle. Email literacy. Like, what is a human yeah. being writing your email response? And also this tickled me, you know, I went to school for public relations. So I, I know about <laughs> how these emails work. I'm wondering like, oh, okay, did they set up a simply cast? Like, how are they sending these <laughs> autofill emails? So I, I thought this was really cute and funny as well. Did Mailchimp exist yes. in 2010? <laughs> yeah. When? Yeah. When was? Uh, uh, I didn't know about Mailchimp until Serial. That was like what 2013 or something. So <laughs> I was just saying that to my wife the other day. It's like the only reason I know about Mailchimp is from Serial <laughs> and from that woman mispronouncing Mailchimp. I know. I hopefully she knows how to say Mailchimp because it's true. I almost have to autocorrect in my brain. I say Mail Crimp first. Because I'm thinking about that woman not saying male trip properly. Yeah, I, I, I also say male camp. Yeah, <laughs> but it's yeah. I'm not not trying to make fun of her. It just makes it just makes me laugh. It's just a funny meme. Um, so they obviously they're not going to you know they take this as like you know nothing's going to happen on this front. So they decide that they should make their own animated movie, which. They, you know, it's hilarious on its face, but Molly proposes making their own animated movie about her character, the character that she's been doodling, and it's a spy named Agent Double X, which I thought was that was pretty clever for a show of Arthur's caliber, and like the, the obviously a takeoff on 007, but also double X's and chromosomes. I thought that was that was pretty and, good, and and of course the triple X series of films. Oh yeah, Vin actually. Yeah, it's you're, you're kind. Of, you're we're kind of right smack dab in the middle between both entries. So, I mean, I guess it was for somebody. It was probably for you. <laughs> um, the, the, so they decide that they're going to use uh, Molly's artistic talents and then put to, put their heads together and create a create a movie. I just, I I wrote this down. Uh, Francine at one point uh, says the word Picasso, but she pronounces it Picasso, and it like. Like, I had to be like, what did you say? Like, I wrote it down because it disturbed me to such a great degree. (laughs) We get, like, I think it's an imagination sequence where Binky is, you know, they're thinking about how successful that their movie is going to be. And Binky is, again, in their imagination playing the straw man about how he sees a poster of a movie, the Agent Double X movie, and he's like, it's like, a movie starring a girl? Nobody would see that. And then it produces, like, a series of Agent Double X movies, and he's like, no, it's a girl's movie. Nobody wants to see that. And then it's, like, people literally stampeding in to see the next Agent Double X movie, and that's what they want to do. They want to, like, prove it to the binkies of the world that this can be um, successful. And I think I wrote it a little bit later, but it's... No, actually, I, I didn't. Right here, this is where I was like, you know... Normally, I might be a little bit critical about how hard they're making Binky out to be the straw man. As I've said a couple of times before, like his arguments are very basic and essentially made to be refuted. They're very yeah. base level. Yeah. But the like the the two things I have to counter my own thought there is that a this is a show intended for kids. 
So it's, you know, you tend to take th- make things a little bit simpler. And also, like, there are guys who think this way. There are people who think this way still to this day, 2022. There are still people that are like, yeah, nobody will go see a movie starring a woman. Well, so this is still, like, and especially back in 2010, 2011, definitely there were people who thought like this with no irony. Well, and if you, if you had any kind of uh, confusion about whether or not you're supposed to agree with Binky in this sequence, um, not only is he kind of trampled by a stampede, he loses his pants. I don't know if you noticed this or not. After he I, is trampled no, by the I stampede, actually. he is in his underwear huh. uh, to add ins- uh, to literally add insult to injury. <laughs> uh, so, I, well, and you know what? I actually had the same thought process about this as you. I was like, wow, Binky is really over the top with his kind of just blatant misogyny uh, about these movies. Uh, But I will say that um, they make it clear later on in this episode, and we'll get to it then, uh, that this isn't actually what Binky believes. Like, if if you Mm -hmm. compare what he's saying in this imagination sequence, it's a little bit different than what he's... It's very much even more of a strongman than what he was saying earlier. Like, earlier, Mm -hmm. it came from a place of ignorance. Like, Binky just simply didn't understand their perspective because he enjoyed the movie. Whereas uh, in this sequence, he's downright antagonistic, and he's like, who would want to see a movie starring a woman? Um, Later on, they make it very clear that this is a dream sequence, Binky, and that the real Binky is different. So I think they mm-hmm. earn this moment. Um, I, I, I had similar, like, I had to work through it with the uh, same as you, but they, I think they, they earn this and they do it in a really fun way later on. Yeah, and they don't make Binky, like, just unlikable or anything like that. <laughs> like, you, like you said, it just comes from a place of ignorance, which, you know, I, we all came from that place, I think, at one point. We all had to kind of have our eyes open to different mm. to different arguments, as Binky is later in this episode. So the main conflict here is that Molly, Francine, and Muffy initially can't make up their minds on what they want Agent X to be because they all have their own input. Uh, Francine wants her to play sports. Uh, Muffy wants her to be fashionable. Molly wants her to be like a, a kick-ass super spy. And, you know, they have a lot of trouble coming to a consensus about what it should really be. There's also a part that made me laugh where Muffy is just like, yeah, and we only have a week to do it. And... And they're just like, what do you mean we have a week to do it? And she's like, I already sold tickets to the premiere. You can't make an animated movie in a week. Well, thanks for telling me that now. <laughs> like, it's a, it's a really good use of, like, Muffy's status as, like, you know, in the clouds with how rich she is. And just, like, not knowing how things work. And it, it, it really got a good laugh out of me. So what they decide to do, and uh, eventually they're called the gr- they're referred to as the group of three because that's how they signed their original email, and that's how they decide to credit themselves. Instead of doing like a big animated movie, which they obviously can't do, they decide to instead do a one minute animated short, and eventually they decide to create it with stop motion. This is where Molly gives you a little bit of an explanation of kind of how animation works. She talks about what a storyboard is and she storyboards the initial mm. plot for the movie. And then later, I thought this was really cool. You see them making stop motion. So it's not claymation, but it's like a little paper doll with those movable joints sort of things. And they just move it, across, move it a little bit, take a picture on the computer, move it, take a picture, move it, take a picture. I thought it was cool. I always like seeing representations of the animation process in animated um, mediums. It's like when, like the credits of uh, a moral oral episode. 
where he's yeah. making his little stop motion films. Yeah, they they make it like um like early early South Park, like those those first yes. South Park shorts were made, where it's like literally moving uh, mm-hmm. um, construction paper around and taking pictures of it. But I too really liked both of these sequences. Um, the storyboard sequence is really creative because I always love art drawings within Arthur. Like when they changed the art style to convey that yes. this is something illustrated. Um, it reminded me of those sequences in earlier episodes, and I thought that was really cool. And I also liked how they incorporated kind of the girls all disagreeing or brainstorming about the different segments. So someone would say something, and Molly would draw it in the storyboard, but then someone else would say something else, and and it would change it. Like for instance they talk about how xx has a has a cat uh and then muffy's like the cat's also a butler and then the cat's a butler um so i thought that was really fun and creative and then i too really liked the sequence where they're all making the stop motion animation and you could see all their hands like pushing all the limbs around and then them taking the picture um i thought both of these sequences were both very creative visually and it's kind of one of my favorite things in uh, media uh, is when they kind of capture the fun of making movies uh, as an amateur, right? Mm. It's one of the reasons why I have a lot of patience for what's ostensibly a pretty middle-of-the-road movie, uh, Be Kind Rewind. Uh, but as a kid, that movie like really captured my imagination because I was just wrapped up in the fun of making a movie with your friends. And that's something I've always liked. Uh, and this episode as a whole really captures that spirit, but especially these two sequences because it's got them brainstorming and then it's got them actually kind of doing the work um, of, of putting together this animation. Uh, and I think not only is it is it fun to watch, but it's something that, you know, stands to inspire the audience, right? Because kids be like, wow, this looks fun. This looks like it must be great to be creative like this and actually make something like this. So I really liked it. Yeah, me too. Encouraging kids to be creative, uh, especially in terms of making their own like media is always something I'm here for. I also appreciated, like you said, the art style really emulates like the style of what a young kid like Molly would. You know, it's very like it's very jagged and sharp as like since she's an edgy kid i also really loved how haggard they all look Mm, at the time when mm. they're done like this takes them a long time this takes them several days to make a one minute short and if you've ever done anything related to stop motion like it does it does take a long time and by the end of it muffy and francine are like falling asleep they have these bags under their eyes it was really good i thought that was a really great choice It's the type of exhaustion that only uh, people working on an animated TV show can convey. Uh, there's a very <laughs> similar. Uh, there's a very similar episode uh, at the end of the anime OVA Golden Boy. If you've ever watched it, um, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm aware of it. Yeah, yeah. So it's about him doing all these different jobs. The last episode of Golden Boy, the job he does is working at an animation studio, and that oh, yeah. episode is like front to back, just like you could tell the people working on the show were working through something uh, <laughs> because they make it seem absolutely wretched and horrible and like soul crushing. <laughs> um, and so this was like kind of the little kids version of golden boy like i don't think they've ever animated i i I can't remember the last time we've seen arthur characters with huge bags under their eyes so uh i thought that was i got a kick out of that as well yeah so they do eventually finish the they do finish the movie and molly is going to go drop off the movie for muffy's premiere which is at her at her place, she invites her uh, everybody's families. But Muffy, uh, excuse me, Molly, uh, drops the movie by accident. She like falls off her skateboard and it falls out of her like um, chest pocket on her jean jacket. 
and you know she it's it's bare it's barely a problem. She gets to the premiere, realizes she doesn't have it, and then Binky walks in uh, because he and Molly were talking uh, before in the scene before, and then it's just like oh he's got it okay. So Binky ends up being. Uh, the savior of the movie. The movie goes over really well. Binky really likes it. Everybody really likes it. Uh, in the movie, it's it, it's very good at emulating that type of rudimentary stop motion. Muffy is the voice of Agent Double X, and the villain is named Cranky Yarns. So <laughs> really, really blatant who they're trying to get back at here. And that's pretty much where the episode ends. Like It goes over really well. And the girls feel good that they were able to make their own representation as opposed to waiting for somebody else to do it, which is a nice um, is is a nice message to put across. And I, I agree with you, Lucas, that it, the real takeaway here should be it's fun to do this type of stuff with your friends. I also like how we get a great payoff that we actually get to see the movie because we yes. saw it at its storyboard stages. So I, I was like laughing to myself when, you know, we get that joke the first time where it's like, oh, it's a, a train in the middle of nowhere near Paris. And then we see it again in the movie and it, it, it's even funnier the second time because you're like, oh, they actually put that stuff in that they were just brainstorming. So yeah, I thought this was a great cherry on top for the episode. Mm-hmm. And now a word from us kids. This one takes us to the computer clubhouse at the Museum of Science in Boston, where, like we were talking about, a group of kids is creating their own movie called Manners is the Way to Go. A little unwieldy, but, you know, we have movies like I Don't Want to Live in This World Anymore, so uh, maybe they were ahead of the curve. Not a whole lot to say about this. I just, again, wanted to say the little girls that they got to, like, host this segment and do the little intros are very good. Like, they've got a lot of personality. They're very likable. Uh, it was it was a very endearing segment, and then you get to see them do every process of the movie, from like brainstorming to actual creation, and then it's uh, plays at the end of the segment, and it's done in that typical, the kind of uh, colored pencil style that those Word from Us Kids segments have. Yeah, um, and again, this is just doubling down on what we were talking about earlier. Of it conveys um, how much fun it can be as a kid to get together with friends and try to make something like this. Even if it kind of ends up looking chintzy in the end, or yeah. even if you only get like a minute long thing because it is such an involved process and it is so much work. Um, mm. This stuff can be uh, really stimulating and really good for the, you know, a young kid's creative mind. So, I, you know, seeing kids actually put something together like this uh, is basically uh, the episode cashing the check uh, that <laughs> it had written uh, with uh, Agent of Change. Yeah, big time. All right, we're going to get into the second part of this episode right after this. This podcast is supported by listeners like you, and here's how. Over on our social networks, you can follow us and find the latest updates and some fun photos. Facebook.com slash Elwood City Limits, at ECL Podcast on Twitter, ElwoodCityLimits.tumblr.com, and Elwood City Limits on Instagram. You can support us monetarily by going over to patreon.com slash Elwood City Limits. If you become a patron for as little as a dollar a month, you get access to exclusive audio content like our new PBS Kids show, movie reviews, and sneak previews of upcoming content. 
Support us as well by going to teespring.com slash stores slash elwood-city-limits-store or search Elwood City Limits on Teespring. Buy yourself a t-shirt, a tank top, or a hoodie with the Elwood City Limits logo or an exclusive design by our friend Josh. Elwood City Limits is available online at libsyn.com slash elwoodcitylimits where you can find it on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and other podcast apps. Is it not on your favorite app? Let us know. And you can always help us by spreading the word, tell your friends, and send us a message either on social media or an email, elwoodcitylimits at gmail.com. Thank you so much for your continued support. And now, let's get back to the show. Well, it's another DW episode. It's DW Unties the Knot, but starts off in a in a good way. We get a bit of a meta on meta cold open here. So we start <laughs> we start an episode of Dark Bunny where Dark Bunny is facing a villain named Banana Mano Man and they have a b- little bit of trouble saying his name. And we see Arthur and Buster watching Dark Bunny together. Uh Arthur is trying to emulate like a big flying kick. He's got the Dark Bunny mask on and everything, which, you know, brought me back to my days of having, you know, the po- the the st- uh the plastic uh blue ranger mask with the string and trying to do all the punches and kicks. By the way, um, by the way, before we yeah. move on, remember uh last season, I was like is dark- have they sunsetted the Dark Bunny character? Are we never going to see Dark Bunny again? Oh, yeah. Because Arthur has moved on and he likes his original characters now because they're less commercial. And that was one of the things I was I was a little bit worried about that episode because I liked Dark Bunny. It turns out they have completely retconned that. Either that or this takes place before that episode. Dar- Arthur still has Dark Bunny fever. Uh, mm. So uh, no need to say goodbye to our beloved Dark Bunny. Seems like he's sticking around. Yes, I mean, I, I, I kind of figured that he wouldn't be gone forever, but you're right, it does kind of conflict with the end of that episode that we both really liked, but that, that's okay. Arthur doesn't have to make complete sense. Then, so Arthur's getting ready to do this big kick off the couch, and I was already just like, oh, this is going to go bad. And then DW pauses the episode, like, outside of the episode. <laughs> she uses, like, a, a TV remote. She's in this, like, black nowhere, and she's just like, uh, you know, this is, um, like, Arthur's about to do something very very foolish and this is why you shouldn't da, da, da. and then she gets cut off by Arthur who has a second remote in the same black void and is the message getting across that like don't try to emulate everything you see on TV and here's why it was I just didn't expect it it's you never you never can really clock when Arthur's going to go meta like this yeah it's hard to convey just how kind of zany and whiplash inducing this intro was uh, like it's, it's hard to get that across with our description. I recommend watching it for yourself because I was like, whoa, what? Like, your brain doesn't have enough time to process that, okay, like, Arthur was watching the Dark Bunny episode, and it's like, now Arthur's attempting the thing, and it's like, whoa, DW paused, like, the show? What's going on? Uh, it, it, it's edited in a really, like, quick way uh, that I got a big kick out of, and I was, like, excited because... Uh, DW is even she doesn't say the words media literacy but she is Mm. like talking in a very like matter of fact and like kind of studious way about you know Arthur's about to learn the lesson that you can't uh, do everything you see on TV Um, and so yeah I really liked this intro got me excited to watch the episode 
Yeah, it's I wasn't really sure where it was going to go from here. So it starts off with Arthur and DW fighting over the TV. Some things never change. And DW eventually gets her way. And instead of watching what she was going to watch, she gets stuck on a show called Big Fancy Wedding. And it's pretty much exactly what it sounds like. And or, or in that it's about Big Fancy Weddings. But it's also like meant to be a reality show. And the idea is that I guess they just surprise somebody with a Big Fancy Wedding. I thought this was a really funny like just group of things together you've got the the host who is like your standard handsome guy and he's always like he's very toothy Mm. like all of his smiles there's a lot of teeth going on there uh so it kind of sets off your fight or flight a little bit (laughs) and so the person he surprises he like goes to their house and is like you are it's like it's like it's time for your big fancy wedding and the bride doesn't say anything she just screams to the point where she's like <laughs> continuously screaming as like, you know, they put her in a dress and then they like airlift like a mansion into her front yard so that she can have like her big wedding venue. It's just very off the wall. I, I liked it. it yeah, this it was, was yeah. hilarious. I was laughing when the when the bride keeps like screaming uh, and the host kind of being overly <laughs> enthusiastic. Uh, what this basically is, is like a send up of like TLC. Right, like it's it's a combination yes. of um, extreme makeover home edition with like say yes to the dress mm-hmm. with like there's this one show that's like competitive weddings where these people go to like a bunch of different weddings and then they rank each other's weddings, which ends up being very mean spirited. <laughs> um, but it, it's kind of like if you were just to to combine the TLC vibe, um, that's what this show is. Uh, and I thought it was great. It's always good when the Arthur writers flex their kind of parody muscles because they're really good at it. Uh, you know, animated comedies and parody, they kind of go hand in hand. It's, it's more common than not for better or for worse. And I think, you know, Arthur is actually much better at it than most. They do it in a way that's really creative and sometimes subtle. Uh, hmm. like this isn't parroting any one thing. It's like, it's like those Weird Al songs that's not parroting a specific song, but it's parroting the, the artist's vibe. Yeah, it's like uh, a style parody. Yeah, and it, it it's it ends up feeling more creative. Um, and so yeah, I thought it was great. Yeah, I I really liked it too. So watching this, DW becomes obsessed with the idea of weddings because it's the idea of like you get to be a princess for a day. She wants to she wants the big party, she wants the lavishness, she wants to be treated like a princess. So that's where she gets obsessed with it. She asks uh Dad Reed, she's like, "Dad, can I have a wedding?" and he gives the like, "Yeah, of course, when you're older." <laughs> so she goes over to Emily's house and she says, "My dad said I could have a wedding when I'm older." That was an hour ago, so I'm older. <laughs> this this is actually in the new Arthur book. This was one that I hadn't seen before reading that uh, reading that book. But they have the like I'm that was an hour ago, so I'm older. So for all you Arthur heads out there, which is statistically probably a lot of you, um, and Emily is asked to be DW's bridesmaid, so she is helping DW prep for her big wedding, and they put together a couple of things that DW feels that they'll need. So first of all. Um, an onion. DW would need an onion because apparently weddings involve a lot of crying. Mm-hmm. She's not exactly sure why, so she's going to need to produce those tears. And she needs a fancy dress, which they borrow from an unseen Marie-Hélène, <laughs> which, how about this dress, Lucas? Not only, it's of course, it's size for a woman and, and this four-year-old's wearing it. It's got like a flared collar. It's white with orange flowers. It's got its own belt. Yeah, the belt is, is really, listen... There's lots to say about this dress. So we don't have enough time. You know, usually the podcast only runs like an hour or so. So 
Uh, I'll keep it short, but I gotta say that uh, the biggest sin of this dress is the belt. Um, you think so? Oh yeah, big time, big time. That that. Listen, I'm sure that belt looked big and chunky uh, and gaudy on Marie Ellen, but on DW, you know, it's like she's got the big gold on. It's just, it's it's no no bueno. <laughs> it's like she's got Hogan's weight belt or something. Yeah. There's a part that really made me laugh. So Emily's tr- like taking down notes while DW's like, we need an onion and a dress and we need, you know, because she's thinking like she wants to get like a unicorn wedding, which we'll talk about a little bit later. Um and what Emily is doing, so she can't write at this point, so she's putting down a l- bunch of, like, pictures to represent it on, like, a notepad. And then she looks through the notepad, she's like, we have, we sure have a lot of stuff to do. And it, it really struck me funny. It's hard to communicate it over voice, but it's just the idea of a little child looking at a, p- a page of scribbles and being like, geez, we got a lot of work. <laughs> it really, it really got me. Like, big laugh from me. So they decide to enlist the help of Muffy, who, in the se- in the spirit of fairness that we're trying to cultivate with this episode, first with Emily, Muffy showing off her skills here. She like they ask if they can have the wedding at her place, and Muffy does this like lightning quick space calculation. She's like, <laughs> "Well, my my house is x like sixteen thousand square feet or whatever it is," and then immediately comes up with a cost, and then. Uh, Emily's like, well, we only have one dollar, and then Muffy's like, okay, so then you should be like, and she draws a little chalk circle. It's like that. That'll like you for a dollar, you can get that for your wedding. <laughs> and it was like, it, it actually made Muffy look really smart in a way that she's not normally allowed to look smart. Yeah, Muffy, despite you know, despite her flaws, has business acumen. It seems like it runs in the Crosswire family. When Muffy asks who the wedding is for, DW almost says herself but they don't want her to know that so she comes up with the name <laughs> the angel Honora woo or uh, d for short or yeah d woo what up d woo uh um, this was hilarious to me because uh, <laughs> as dw is sounding out the name you know you just said it as it is like a complete name but dw is like making up making it up on the spot and it's like patently obvious that she's doing so so she starts off with the d she almost says dw and then she's like d angel and nora <laughs> woo and then there's all this comedy about like buffy's like wow that's a mouthful it's it's like is that all the first name <laughs> and then like dw's like no d angel and nora is the first name the last name's woo uh, I thought this was great, and yeah, I can't stop thinking about D- she, yeah, because DW even says D Woo for short, and I was like, wow, D Woo. Yeah, I wish they had. I wish they had made more hay out of D Woo, but because uh, uh, that's just funny to say. She also doesn't want to let Muffy know that it's her because then it might get back to Arthur, and he ruins everything. She references how he ruined her cousin's wedding because he lost the ring. So all the way back to season one with that reference. Yeah, classic Arthur moment in episode. Um, Mm. I'm actually at this point really surprised that they're referencing stuff that happened in season one because, Mm -hmm. you know, we're getting to the point now, 2010, you know, it's almost been 15 years of Arthur at this point. Um are they expecting i just wonder if like arthur has been in syndication so long that those episodes would play or are they really just like uh placating to the heads or are do they have like such an expansive show bible to draw from um either way no matter what the reasoning behind it you know it's great for me and you 
Because uh, yeah. we're watching this show in a way that no one really intended, and so this stuff really <laughs> sticks out in a way that it, it wouldn't normally. Um, but yeah, I just wonder about these references because, you know, I really appreciate them, but it seems like something that, you know, no other show would really do, be referencing show, episodes from the 90s that the intended audience of Arthur have most certainly not seen when they were first airing, so they would only see reruns. So yeah, um, it's always appreciated. Yes, I agree. Um, so they, Muffy helps DW and Emily plan the wedding. Like I said before, DW has this lavish idea for a unicorn wedding. And of course it's typical, you know, DW wants to dress up like a princess. And of course the, it's a real unicorn and all of this, like there's going to be like magic and like cake and, you know, jewels and all this kind of stuff. Uh, but they have to aim a little bit lower just based on their budget. Like, uh, they get a toy ring out of like one of those little toy machines they, uh, one of those little, how do you even describe, describe these anymore? I don't even gotcha palm. It's like a, gotcha gotcha, it, it, it is, it is, it is like a gotcha machine. Yeah, exactly. So they get a little toy ring out of that using one, use some of their coins. Um, they get Timmy and Tommy Tibble to be, uh, basically groomsmen. And <laughs> there's, there's great. a funny, there's a funny part here where Muffy calls DW and like wants to know more about the groom and DW or calls Emily, I should say. And, they don't know what that means. So it's like somebody that, you know, DW is going to get married to. And they do the whole swoop around of like the Tibbles and then a couple of other geek kids. And then they go to James and DW's like, yeah, I guess so. He'll do. <laughs> yeah, she and, calls him King James, which is either a reference to the King James Bible or LeBron. Or LeBron. Yeah. <laughs> given, first... given that it was 2010, it was probably LeBron. Also, before we move on, I got to say, whether whether uh, asking the Tibbles to come... Uh, there's this moment that really made me laugh where, you know, they're asking the Tibbles to wear a suit. And one of them says, I didn't even wear a suit when Grandma took us to see Trucks the Musical. So we're, we're continuing on with Trucks being an established thing in the Arthur universe. It's no longer just, you know, 10,000 explosions in a supernova and Kresblane. I hope that they continue to make references to Trucks going forward. Yeah, me too. That would be awesome. Um, so DW has a nightmare that night that when... You know, she understands now that the idea, I should say, Muffy gives her the idea that marriage is when two people live together and are in love. So DW has a bad dream that James's entire family moves into her household. So it's like him, Molly, like their extended family. Apparently they even have a dog named Bowser who just looks like a bigger version of Pal. He's very cute. Um, and they also all watch TV together, and they watch something called the Shy Guy Awards, <laughs> which, which I thought this was good. It was a really good visual gag of like, it's you know an MC on stage with a spotlight, but the guy receiving the Shy Guy Award like won't step into the spotlight because he's too shy, and then runs away. He's also like, and then DW wakes up and like. Oh, sorry. DW wakes up in like a cold sweat and is like, <laughs> I don't want to do that at all. No, the Shy Guy Awards was really funny. Like the 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 I can't tell if it's like supposed to be a kid or just a very small guy. Um, yeah, but I don't he's know. like comically small compared to the MC. And then the Shy Guy Award itself is like a golden tree with like a little guy peeking out from behind it. Uh, like this concept was really bizarre. Also, when Muffy is explaining, you know that a marriage is supposed to be romantic and that you end up living together and that your families might even move in together. Uh, DW responds with, Romantic? Live together? No one told me that part. <laughs> Unfortunately so. That's what that's what marriage entails. So DW needs to uh, 
she doesn't want to cancel. She can't really cancel the wedding because unfortunately it's already going ahead. It's going to happen that the next morning. So instead she's just going to avoid it. And she happily will spend the day with dad Reed, who is going to a catering gig, which turns out to be the wedding. Yeah. This was really funny. Uh, He's like, do you want to spend the day with daddy? And she's like, yeah. Like she responds in a way that like, I thought it was funny because you, you picture DW being like, uncharacteristically enthusiastic about spending the day with her dad. And then lo and behold, it ends up and ends up biting her in the end because he's like, yeah, I'm going to this weird like unicorn wedding thing at the crosswires. Yeah. The whole, the whole wedding is there. It's a pretty, it's a pretty good setup. All things considered. And DW like gets, gets her dress on and you know, she's trying to fend off Muffy. Who's wondering where, uh, D woo is. And, Eventually, they go outside. Uh, James is, has no idea. Like, they, he hasn't been prepped. And when the Tibbles try to tell him that he's the groom, he tries to, like, cut it out of there. And they have to basically restrain him. Um, yeah, I, love, the- I love the Tibbles, like, strong-arming James. Yeah. And, like, it's it's the visual's even funnier because James is in casual clothes and the Tibbles are wearing their Sunday best. And, yeah. like, once James realizes what's going on, a chase ensues, and, like, the Tibbles, we see them later, and the, they literally are, like, restraining James by both of his arms, and it's just so funny. Like, it's like they're the mob or something, intimidating him <laughs> to go to this the wedding. Ti- the tiny mob. And the other, the the thing that really made me laugh is that, so earlier on, they convinced Timmy and Tommy to be groomsmen because, or to be involved in the wedding because you get to throw rice at people. Mm. So Timmy has, or Timmy or Tommy has a bag of rice <laughs> and it's, he throws this big ball of rice at Emily and she just goes, you're not supposed to throw cooked rice. And I just thought, I thought that was great. Very funny. Um, DW gets really, really overwhelmed and says, basically starts crying and says, I don't and runs, runs away, uh, and admits to Muffy that it was her all along. And Muffy gives dad Reed the bill for the, for the wedding. <laughs> and he drops apparently ex- tray of sandwiches. Uh, he's yeah, apparently, so apparently it's, apparently it's exorbitant. So whether or not DW gets in trouble for this, we don't know because we, we get to the end of the episode DW is watching TV again. She sees, uh, you know, the uh, the big wedding show and then decides to give the TV to Arthur. And as she's kind of reflecting on this with Emily, we get the cheesy line at the end. There's one thing I'll miss about being a bride, having the world's best bridesmaid. I'm just like, Ugh. you know, very, very corny. <laughs> so let's go back. Now that we're finished with the episode, let's talk about these in review. So first of all, Lucas, the agent of change. What did you think? Yeah. So agent of change. It's it's as we were talking about it, you actually brought up some of the concerns I had. Where you know, at first I was like, ooh, th- this is a really interesting subject for Arthur to be tackling. But are they going to be tackling it, you know, in the nuanced way that Arthur usually does? Or are they going to be tackling it with the sledgehammer? Like, is, is Binky going to be so cartoonishly a straw man uh, and so kind of anti-women uh, in film that it's just going to come off as, as kind of preachy and ingenuine? And it turns out that there's a couple of um, small details they do that I think really pulls it together in a way that, at the end, um, kind of all of my... my criticisms or, or, or things I weren't sure about are, are had totally subsided. Uh, for one, they make it very clear, you know, Binky is at first, he's a strong man and he doesn't understand why they're so upset, but it comes off more earnestly as that Binky is just legitimately confused and he's never thought about things from the female perspective and he, and he doesn't understand why they're so upset with the, the representation in trucks. 
Um, mm-hmm. You know, it's a lot more overt in the dream sequence, but it's a dream sequence. You know, it's how Binky appears kind of in the girl's imagination. Um, so it's way more over the top and it's kind of way more hateful. Um, but then in the end, you know, when Binky watches the movie, he totally loves it. Um, and so I think that that's a really great way for the for the episode to end because it goes to show that like Binky was just confused all along, um, and he really does enjoy their movie and he is open to the idea of, of, of girls and movies. The other thing I was upset about, and especially kind of the early days of this particular topic, um, and you know it's something that I, I was really thinking about once you brought up that it was a male writer, is that often when people are talking about whether it's in you know comic books, uh, uh, movies especially. Um, when they talk about female representation and their idea of it is like, oh, we're going to have a female character that's essentially just a man, right? It's like, oh, she's a badass. She's not like other girls. Um, and that can sometimes kind of ring hollow, right? Because, you know, true representation is like, you know, I know lots of, I pretty much from my mom to, to a lot of people in my life, the, the movie Little Women is beloved, right? Mm, um, yeah. And that's not like that at all, right? That's like true representation where it, it, it's a movie that uh, very much uh, rings true uh, to the female experience from, from the folks I talk to, right? I can't speak to it. Um, right. But so I was worried when they're kind of initially brainstorming about the character of XX. I was like, oh, this kind of sounds like when, again, people are like, oh, yeah, female representation, it's Laura Croft, right? Like, that's that's yeah. what XX initially sounded like to me. But I liked that, you know, the girls didn't all agree about what they wanted the character to be. Um, and yeah. that's actually a big middle chunk of the episode. You know, uh, Molly obviously has her vision where the character is like a punk rocker who solves the world's ills in her off time. And Francine, because she's an athlete, she wants the character to be an athlete. Um, and I liked how, you know, Muffy kind of wanted the character to be girly and, and to have fashion sense and, and to wear a dress, which, you know, uh, Molly was really upset about. Now, they don't do it a lot to, to, to balance it out, uh, uh, and, and it doesn't really come through in the final product, but I do like that they kind of lightly talk about how, you know, not every girl wants the same thing. Uh, and, and representation means different things to different people. And so, you know, just, uh, making the main character of your story doesn't necessarily make it an innately female story, right? There's other elements to that. And that means different things to different people. Um, so they, they touch on that lightly, but I liked that they had just even that kind of conversation, right? Cause it makes it a lot better than it's just being like, Oh, it's this, this badass female character and, and, and everybody loves it. Uh, do you understand what I'm saying? I think so, yeah. But, but and, oh, sorry. But in yeah. the, no, no, no. In the no, end, in the end, um, all those things aside, um, as an episode of Arthur, it's really entertaining. Uh, like I, I liked the animation. You know, I liked the animation during trucks. I liked the animation during the sequences where they're making the storyboards and they're then actually doing the stop motion. I think it's really funny. I think it's great to spend time with the character of Molly, Muffy, and Francine. I like them as a trio, and I would like to see this trio again. So you know, I at first was worried about these qualms about the kind of message it was gonna, how it was gonna deliver its message, and I think it did a good job doing it with nuance. And then, in terms of you know entertainment factor, I thought it was a really entertaining episode of Arthur, uh, and I loved the way it ended with Binky coming around and and really enjoying what they made. Uh, so yeah, what did you think about it, Will? 
I totally agree. I really liked this episode, and I think you made some really good points. I don't want to. I don't want to step on them too much. Basically, I think that this is a really good starting point, and I think that that's a, something we've talked about a lot of times. That Arthur can be a great start to a conversation that you can have with your kids, or your kids can even just think about and like roll around in their brain a little bit. And I and it it makes me feel really good that Arthur is a type of show to be proactive, as I said before, about bringing these types of conversations to the lives of kids, especially, I mean, not to get too far into this, but, you know, we're living in a time where we're still, there's a lot of people who want to shield a lot of stuff from the minds of kids, and the way to combat that is to keep them educated, keep them informed, uh, sate their curiosity, like, talk to them, and let them wonder about the world around them, and it kind of relates back in the sense of, like, this took me a long time growing up as I did to think about how it could even be an issue that there aren't like a lot of women, good women characters in like the animated movies we were watching as kids. But once you open your mind to that sort of thing, you real well, then your mind never really stops opening and becoming more open. And I just think this is a great thing to do. The episode itself also re- like funny like very very incisive at points for Arthur very uh funny um it looked good a lot of there's a lot of good animation on display with the different types of animation and just in terms of the way that Arthur itself is animated it just looked really good i it it wrapped up a little like the the wrap up was a little soft i found but it almost wasn't the point. It was the point of it was the message and the way they got that message across, and I think they did really well. So I, I liked this episode quite a bit. And I will say, um, in terms of DW One Ties the Knot, this has got to be up there for one of the better D- DW episodes. It's, uh, you know, the DW episodes can be a little, like, too kitty, even for Arthur. But this one was... It really surprised me. It was funny. Like this was a really funny episode. It's a fun. It's like it's a fun idea of you take a character like D.W. and have her under have her find out what weddings are. Like obviously, you know, she'd been to cousin Lucy's wedding and all this kind of stuff. But maybe you can even say like, oh, this takes place before that or something, and just have her find out that like, oh, the idea of a wedding is that you're a princess for the day, and of course that appeals to her. Like I think that's real. I think that's really a smart way for her character to respond to that and then have it go from there. It felt very natural and it allowed a lot of her friends to get uh, some good time in there. Like this is a very positive Emily episode because she's very helpful and supportive of her friend. And it ended up in a way that I thought was also very funny. Um, Yeah. It's, it's again, doesn't have quite the like maybe social impact or like even doesn't even attempt to be like it's, other story, but I, I liked this one quite a bit, and uh, this was a really strong pair of episodes. Yeah, I, I don't have much to add. I really liked DW Unties the Knot as well. I mean, this whole episode package has me really optimistic about season 14. Uh, season 13 was, you know, when I was going over the episodes, I was like, oh, it's, it's kind of middle of the road. These two episodes, if they were in season 13, would be like my number one, my number two. I, I loved kind of both of these episodes. DW Ties the Knot. It's hilarious. It's a really, really funny episode of Arthur. From the big fancy wedding show to all the hijinks of them organizing the wedding, you know, the tibbles, the big payoff with the rice, um, kind of the comedy of, of DW not really understanding the mechanics or reasons behind all these wedding traditions. Um, I thought it was really, really funny. And I also think it's another example of when Arthur does a moral, 
you know, I really don't have a lot of patience for kind of overt moralization, the after-school special. And Arthur, despite having those types of morals all the time, always avoids it and always teaches these lessons with nuance. Like, the moral of this story is don't believe everything you see on TV or if you're going to see something on TV, make sure you ask questions before you act on it because you might not fully understand Mm -hmm. it. Um, And that's, like, conveyed with this whole big other story about DW organizing a wedding because she saw a fake reality show. Like, it's so creative. Creative. Um, and again, uh, the one I really want to stress with DW on Ties the Knot is it's just really funny. Like, yes. bo- and both of these episodes are actually really funny. Um, uh, there's there's a new vibe with season 14, um, and it has me really optimistic about the season going forward. Me too. This is one of the strongest starts to a season that we've had in a long time, which is great because it really takes the wind out of the sails a little bit when we have like a weaker start to a season and this like the both of the episodes we've talked about so far both uh, in the last ECL and this one like big big thumbs up I I enjoyed I enjoyed both of them so far and I'm hoping that they can keep the streak going and we will have to see if they do that indeed the next time we're here for Elwood City Limits now of course next week uh, it is our Patreon exclusive show for the kids at PBS Kids Podcast. Lucas and I, by my request, are going to be talking, going back to the 1990s, to talk about a show called Ghost Writer. Now, this one's going to be an interesting one to take a look at. Uh, I don't know what to expect, but uh, I think we're going to have a good time looking at it. The next time here on ECL, we are going to be watching the episode Nicked by a Name and The Plays the Thing. So. Uh, interesting titles. We'll have to see what those entail. Thank you very much, everybody, for joining us for this episode uh, of Elwood City Limits. And of course, don't forget, check us out on YouTube. We only need seven more subscribers to get to 100, and then I th- and then I believe we can do the custom domain name. Look, I'm not I'm not asking, you know, I'm not asking for me to send for them to send me the silver play button or something. I'm just asking for 100 subscribers. I just want to be able to tell you to go to youtube.com slash Limits, but I can't do that yet. So, and, uh, you know, <laughs> upload. Uh, turns out making these uh, podcast episodes into videos is a minor headache. So, yeah, please subscribe to our YouTube channel and check out the old episodes. And also, sorry about the endings getting cut off. I don't know why it's doing that. I don't know how to fix it. I'm sorry. Oh, Lucas, I'm full of nervous energy. I got to go watch more wrestling. <laughs> it's your it's your therapy in a way, Will. It is very much so, but even more but even more therapy is therapy. So thank you very much. It's always it's always great to uh, talk with you guys about some Arthur. Hope you enjoyed the episode too, and uh, make sure to keep in touch with us. Uh, and that's no April Fool for uh, myself, Will Young, and for Lucas Mancini. I can't tell time, but I know when shows are over, and mine isn't. We'll see you next time from here on Elwood City Limits.